0: podcast.
1: This is Bruce. This is John. This is Blix. This is Trav. Welcome to the TriTac Games podcast. Your podcast of thinking you needed really big powerful guys around to get anything done, but it turns out you got the stuff all along. This week we are talking about Banes in Supernatural Games, especially Bureau 13, and we have a special guest of Nick Palmer with us. Yay. Hello! Hello! <laughs> All right, Uh, Nick very graciously decided to join us at the last minute, and we are hopefully going to get a a much different perspective from him since he doesn't uh, have our history with our games. But let's move on to what we're talking about, which are banes. Now, for those of you who are not familiar with the term, a bane is any act, material, gesture, whatever that you may think of that has a deleterious effect on a supernatural creature that doesn't have that same effect on a normal creature. So as the examples would be, holy water burns vampires and demons but doesn't hurt people. Silver, some creatures are burned by the touch of silver like some of the fae creatures. Uh, Obviously, uh, wolvesbane. And the effects that these things have vary greatly depending upon what they are. Some will... Ward, as in you put it up And they they, they go away, they can't even be around it Some of them will just Only stop them, they can't go beyond The barrier, or they have to do Something in order to Get past the barrier Third, it could slow them Where they're literally just moving slowly Acting slowly, attacking slowly Fourth it could actually cause physical damage to them and the, and the worst and most powerful ones as far as an individual supernatural concern is ones that destroy them outright. Now the reason this is important is because even though there's been a kind of an upping of the power level in a lot of supernatural games, originally, especially if, if you go back to your, your movies and things like that, you norm- almost always had normal people up against the supernatural. You didn't have a team of people that included a, uh, a witch uh, or a, a magic user. You didn't have a psionicist, You didn't have another supernatural creature who was on your side you know, to back you up. You didn't have angels. <laughs> you didn't have pet demons. Uh, what you had were people who were knowledgeable about the supernatural and about mythology and lores and legends and things like that. So when they came up against a supernatural creature, they could deduce the things that would be harmful to that creature, or at the very least, that would repulse them and give them a chance to regroup, get some advantage on them. And this works at any supernatural game that you can think of. I mean, it, it doesn't matter whether you have games with these types of superpowered player characters, Banes are always still useful to have. If you look at the TV show, Supernatural, the most common bane they have is rock salt. They use it to get rid of ghosts. They put it in, like, shotguns. They use it to ward windows and walls from ghosts moving through or demons entering. If you, if you keep a vampire
0: coming back, you got to stuff his mouth with salt after you cut his oh, head off. And salt the
2: bones and burn them to get rid of ghosts. Mm-hmm. So they use salt a lot. Well, there's also uh, salt for zombies. Apparently, I think if you put like uh, put salt in their mouth and sew it shut or something, or
1: yeah, it's a, it's supposed to quiet them down. But to get rid of them utterly, you have to use holy wafers too. Yeah, as you can see, is that certain common items can be very, very powerful against you know very, very powerful supernatural creatures. It behooves you to add banes into the toolkit if you're a player. And as a GM, it gives you something for the players to find out as a kind of a mystery within the overall supernatural investigation or the monster hunt, the bug hunt, whatever you want to call it. You still have this as part of a sort of a side quest to make it easier for you when you hit up against the big boss to figure out these banes. Is there any common type statements we can make about Banes to help these guys on, uh, and ladies on their way to figuring out what Banes to use against a supernatural creature?
0: Well, uh, against the Fae, cold iron is supposedly uh, very effective against. It hurts them incredibly uh, badly when you, even just by touching it. It
1: burns them. Uh, A little bit more general, that's a very specific bane, John. Okay, is there something more general we can talk about? What kind of certain things that, against the supernatural, are going to be banes? Precious metals, gemstones. That's a good one. So in the supernatural parlance, things that are made out of noble metals, gold, silver, mercury, actually, is considered a noble metal. These things, because they do not tarnish are considered in some regards to be holy, or at very least useful against things that are considered corrupted. I guess a werewolf, gold's not gonna work, but if you consider a werewolf a being who's cursed, then using an item, a weapon, that's made out of silver or gold or mercury has a chance, a more chance than like steel probably would be of, of affecting them.
3: Okay, um,
1: cold iron, what does that constitute?
2: Yeah, what exactly is cold iron? I hear that all the time. Typically, no. it's iron that's been worked from a fallen meteor or uh, from a source uh, that has not seen fire. It hasn't been
1: fired. Right. What's was referred to as cold forging, where you literally take a big hammer and you pound on a piece of iron that's mostly iron until you get it into the proper shape. Oh, yeah, it's okay. not
0: wrought iron, but it's, yeah, it's it's worked ore. You basically beat the ore until you get all the slag
2: out, and then what's left behind is the iron. Oh, my God. So, in other words, it's something that someone has put a lot of personal energy into. Oh, yeah. And they're, generally
1: speaking, going to be useful as blunt weapons. Yeah, <laughs> you think? If you put it into a shotgun, it would still work because you're not actually firing... No. ...the cold iron, and therefore it's not losing its properties. Arrowheads could be made not, not pointed ones, but flat ones. Yeah, I can see someone
0: making a pointed one. If you really work at it, you can probably make a pointed weapon. It's gonna probably be pretty fragile. Yeah, well, yeah, I'm not gonna say it's gonna last one or two uses. Uh it's definitely a one-use weapon, but if you think about a lot of the first iron weapons were all cold iron.
2: <laughs> can you imagine? So you hit this, I don't know, supernatural creature with with a blunt arrowhead like that, and he's just like, ow oh, man, that's smarts. <laughs>
1: you hit somebody with a blunt arrowhead off of a longbow, it's yes. still going in.
2: Oh, yeah. I know, I know, but it's like it, it, like an arrow <laughs> normally goes through somebody and, and, and all you hear out of them is the gurgle of blood as they fall over, right? But this guy's just like, dude, ow, really? <laughs>
3: like Dr. Eagle, ow, you shot me, you
1: a-hole. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> you can't kill me, but you can sure knock me out.
2: It's like, are you going to beat me to death with these arrows?
0: <laughs> uh, that's why I said, you know, if, if you're a bureau agent or even if you're just a supernatural investigator, it behooves you to have a, a selection of different um, knuckle dusters.
2: Oh, yeah. Okay, cold iron knuckle dusters. I
0: can see that. Silver knuckle dusters, gold knuckle dusters, which are, you know, that's, oh,
1: I'll just sell this and make some money. Uh. You could have a layer that is gold and a layer that's silver, kind of a laminate, you know, where you, you, especially if you're doing something that goes over your hand, where you can have layers in it. So you could kind of hedge your bets by putting multiple things on it, not going for the hitting power of it. You're actually going for the fact that it's going to cause them kind of an allergic reaction.
0: Yep. And this brings the next bane that's kind of common. That's holy symbols. So yeah, you get that silver knuckle duster. Every knuckle has a different holy symbol engraved on it.
3: Back again to the whole thing from the mummy where pulling out all the amulets and chanting in various languages. Yeah. It usually works if you believe in in that religion. Faith is a huge component in holy anything. Your symbols, if you're a reliquarian, like, Oh I have this nail of from the cross that's imbued with enough holy power. you don't need faith. you could just be you could be an atheist and hold that and it's still going to you know do something. but just you holding you know your cross, you better believe.
1: It depends an awful lot on whether the creature you're up against has some quality that is the antithesis of the religion in which you are involved in. If it involves baby sacrifice. Anything that would be considered a great sin, and they do it as part of their normal worship, then that would be considered a religion or an, a creature that is the antithetical to the faith that you are trying to use this item from.
3: Christian mythology, devils are usually fallen angels, so a cross would work against them, or holding a Bible against them, or reading bu- biblical verse. Because it is a direct—the the devils, a.k.a. the fallen angels, are a direct antithesis. That
1: Sorry, I used that word on you.
3: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because I'm usually at a loss for words. Those who know me, yeah, that would be a direct equal and
0: opposite force. I, I will point out, though, as Wolverine found out when he fought Dracula, making a cross with his claws didn't work because he didn't yeah. believe.
2: Well, it depends. All right, now, hold on. So, so it depends. In some settings, you know, it requires faith. In other settings, putting two sticks together won't work because it hasn't been... Sanctified. Sanctified. Right, exactly. That's what I was looking for. Very good, John. Thank you. And sanctification simply means it's been put
1: aside for special purpose. Okay. So, therefore, a cross is something that's used in religious ceremonies. Wolverine's
2: claws put into the shape of a cross, it's not the same thing. No. No, I mean he could probably probably ward off a fanboy with it. But, <laughs> but the star of David around Kitty Pride's neck worked quite well. Yes.
1: <laughs> if something is cursed in any way and you have some kind of an item that is associated with holiness, the sanctified for a pure purpose. And this does not mean virgins. Do not create a shield wall of virgins. <laughs> <laughs> When the werewolf starts coming for you, that's not going to work. Okay. It'll slow him down. Well, of course it would slow him down, Sean. But that's not what we're going for. would it work against a port of uh, unicorns. Yes, if, if, if the unicorns had been, like, charmed and were, and were coming to get you from an evil sorcerer, a daisy chain would probably work the trick. It would act as a barrier, sure.
2: Unicorns, I love them. Unicorns, I love them.
1: One of the best banes that I have found out, and it's very specific, and that is anything that is the exact opposite of the creature that you're trying to fight. Okay, And what I'm talking about is I'm talking about images that are used as a ward. And we're going to talk about this when we talk about the Medusa, but if you look at Greek history, A very common symbol that was placed on houses and things like that to ward off evil and ward off evil spirits was the head of a Medusa. But the difference is the snakes of the Medusa's head were poking forward and there was a tongue sticking out between the fangs of the Medusa's mouth. So they were sticking out, basically pushing away from that. And you could put that on your wall, you could carry that in your hand, and this would work very well against bad, evil creatures of the Greek mythos or spirits, and especially it would work against a Medusa. Hmm. I did not know that. Uh, I did some research. <laughs> the important thing is first to look at the creature that you're dealing with and try to get understand its characteristics, its supernatural characteristics. Is it a creature that's undead? Is it a creature that is cursed? Is it a creature that has magical powers? Is it descended in some way from other creatures, like fae? Trolls are descended from the more northern kind of stuff, right? Right, yeah, that's that's more of a, uh, like a Norway-ish... Yeah, and dwarves, where would they be from? Germany. Germany. So, if you have a creature that's arising out of certain geographical areas... That would definitely be something that you would be taking you should take into consideration when you're trying to establish what the, the bane is for it. Okay. Now, GMs, if your players are doing an awful lot of work trying to figure this out, and you've done this research and you say there's this one bane and only this one bane that works. Well, unless you're handing them clues to let them figure it out, I would be generous and let them find a few things that are like would work even that aren't necessarily part of the official literature. Just because they make sense as a bane. Yep. So, okay. Um. If you've seen the movie Troll Hunter,
0: we were talking about trolls. Heck, Troll Hunter equipped his vehicle with big bright lights to flash the troll. And then, and then they were in the UV range. So they're actually bright enough they actually could, well, simulate the sun and actually hurt the trolls. Yeah, because there's a lot
1: of legend that sunlight hurts trolls. Exactly. Exactly. And so using something along the same lines. That's, that's one reason why in, in the Blade trilogy they use ultraviolet blades. What in particular do you think herbs would be good for? Uh, what kinds of creatures do you think would be most likely to be affected by it? Looking at having also the ability to perhaps uh, prevent uh, the effects of a supernatural creature from taking hold
3: or from uh, manifesting. I think that what nick means is like using like various herbs to stave off, I don't know, let's say a certain creature, you know, they cut you, they give you some type of disease or something. You could use an herb as to make a salve to, you know, lessen or eliminate the effects of said curse.
1: Right. Uh, herbs that are considered to be very good healing, like St. John Wort, Echinacea might be a way of staving off mummy rot, right? Yeah. Or mandrake, which has got many uses. In Bureau 13, we have a, a big, long list of banes. These banes vary from everything but animals to minerals to rituals to holy people. And the one I think is interesting is chanting. Because in some cases, one of the most powerful banes that is used against a creature is its true name. True naming is very present in a lot of of literature. Oh, yeah. Stilskin, once the the girl knew his true name, she could send him away and he couldn't hurt her anymore. That's classic for dragons, classic for demon stories. Mr. Missileplix. (laughs) Indeed. Getting him to say it backwards. (laughs) You take words that are of holy power, uh, important people like gods or saints the name of the creature themselves, and you start chanting it at them, it can weaken them, even drive them away. The other possibility that I know with sound is where someone is trying to chant at you. They're doing a spell or they're doing some kind of a chant, and you chant it in reverse. Or you chant it out of tone, let us say, you know, discordantly. Let's say a a harpy is singing at you and she actually sings a song. If you could sing that same song discordantly, it might actually drive her, you know, set her back. might actually stop her singing
2: because she might not be
1: able to stand her song being sung so poorly.
2: Talking about the anti-material, so something that that basically has something to do with the creature itself. My understanding was is that one of the reasons why silver works against werewolves is because you know werewolves seem to be triggered by the moon, and silver was often believed to be the the metal of the moon because it has you know it's kind of a whitish color, um, silvery you know people say by the silver of the moon. And that was always my understanding of why silver was believed to hurt werewolves. If you use the exact same rationale, gold would actually work great against vampires because gold is supposed to be the metal of the sun. So I, I always thought that that would be kind of a neat twist uh, for a writer to to put into a story. And I, you know, I wouldn't be surprised to know that it's already been done by some writer somewhere. It's of course, European
0: vampires, and uh, we talk about the Japanese vampires. Uh, what was what their name again? Dude, they're like they're like Cthulhu monsters. The Japanese vampires, <laughs> Friggin' head pops off and. Which one has the bowl for a head and the guy? Keep the water in the
3: bowl. It's a kappa. That's more of a Japanese turtle demon.
1: You're right. That's right. Yeah, yeah. It's not a scary little duck-headed guy. I mean, those things are huge. It's like saying, okay, here's this thing the size of a rhinoceros. Has this little depression in the top of his head and a little bit of water in it. It knows how to hold his head so it doesn't lose that water. And you're going to somehow try to do like some kind of a pole vault over it and scoop that out. Good luck. It's modern day. A smart coppa
0: would put a shower cap on.
2: I shall defeat you with a straw. (laughs) 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 All right. Well, let's go ahead
1: and um, go on to some of our examples and see if maybe we can illuminate this a little bit better. So when I looked in the Bureau 13 book under Voodoo, I saw a number of stuff. First of all, we saw there were zombies, in there. Voodoo is, 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 pr- is not primarily used to raise the undead, but that is something it's done and zombies themselves are, uh, as banes for zombies according to the Bureau 13 manual, is good magic or a holy symbol or salt. The good magic and the holy symbol makes sense because it's supposed to be a necrotic effect to go and bring a, a necromancy, to bring a zombie back from the dead So those things that are considered to be life-affirming would be the things that you'd want to use. As a matter of fact, in D&D, in later editions, they let people use healing spells on zombies to damage them.
3: Yeah. Well, that's the whole positive and negative energy thing, that undead are fueled by negative energy, so positive energy acts like a harm spell. And if you... You know, vice versa, You negative energy on a living being sucks their life energy out and causes them damage. So, yeah.
0: I have to point out, though, that zombies are very much a Haitian thing. You actually don't find very many zombies in either the African voodoo or the Louisiana voodoo uh, sex of, of, of voodoo. It's mostly a Haitian thing in the Caribbean. So you usually will find more zombies voodoo zombies in the caribbean uh puerto rico you might find a few there too Mm -hmm. do you know why they developed in uh, haiti and not other places well okay in real life it's because they had access to that series of neurotoxins that could basically put a person into a a death-like state and
1: then it was all mental they convinced him that he was a zombie after he woke up. So it's actually just a fortuitous aspect of being you near know, a plant that can provide the necessary neurotoxin to create the zombie effect. Yes. It also says the salt is a bane. And I don't know whether you could use salt as a barrier or whether it actually can only work against a zombie if it gets shoved in his mouth. That's up to the GM to say these things do have their own histories, but it's certainly something you'd be, I would try. They are undead they are necromatic, and salt seems to work really well, because salt is considered a preservative. It's considered something that actually maintains life. It was very important through most of history that if you didn't have salt, you would sicken and die in a relatively short period of time. The uh, Haitian zombies,
0: they're actually used more like workers. Usually as a form of retribution against somebody. Somebody has a bad against somebody, so they pay a... Uh... A hoot on to uh, put the uh, zombie on somebody, and then they end up working for that person as a zombie.
1: But back to the salt. Salt is also used to preserve food, long after the time period in which it, sh- it should have rotted away or become unfit to eat. So salt can be seen as something that fights against corruption, fights against decay. And a zombie, of course, is the epitome of decay because it's, an un- it's a dead body. When you look at these types of things, anything that would be a preservative, it wouldn't just have to be salt, but if you had any other kind of preservative, even some of the more modern preservatives that they put into our foods and such, you might be able to take some of that and throw that at a zombie or stick it in a zombie's mouth, and it might be just as effective as salt because it has that same quality that the the known veins already have.
3: I can see it now. Oh, my gosh, Father, what did you shoot at him? Monosodium glutamate. Yeah. (laughs) You killed a zombie with MSG? Yeah. I make my own
0: bacon, so you can use saltpeter. Saltpeter is a preservative. horn and gunpowder, what are you point? <laughs> but so is red beetroot powder and celery seed powder. They're also uh, a preservative. Ever see those Hindu rituals where they're throwing uh, powder around? Hey, handful of red beet powder. Smack
1: him with that sucker. Do modern guns? Do they use saltpeter in the propellant? No, no, no. It's cordite. Saltpeter, as you say, uh, is a preservative, therefore if someone had a black powder weapon, they could actually pour some of that black powder in in the zombie's mouth, actually on the zombie and light it up, and that actually might be more effective because it does have that in it versus throwing just oil or gasoline on them. And it's mixing with their flesh, so that would be would be
0: more effective. If Though if you try, you're going to use residue from a gunshot, from a blank, it wouldn't work. You probably have to actually pour it on them and then light it up. Or even just pouring it on them. It may just work by itself.
3: Yeah. yeah. Rub it in.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
3: Oh, great. You killed the zombie by giving him a dry rub. Way to go. <laughs>
0: Well, heck, yeah, a lot, of, a lot of herbs and spices were designed for pres- their pr- uh, preservative powers. So, yeah,
1: you could do a zombie dry rub. And same with myrrh. Yeah. <laughs> so myrrh might also have an effect like that. So these are all great things to try that aren't normally on, on what you think might be the easiest thing. So when you run up against an undead creature or a creature that seems to be a, a, a cor- an animated corpse of some kind, then using it, something as, that's a preservative might actually act as a bane toward it. But moving back against the actual voodoo masters, we see that the lists against it are good magic, disbelief, ritual, and again, salt. We've already talked about salt. In the area of voodoo, are they all really bad, or are there good voodoo and bad voodoo?
0: Okay, most of the priestesses are good. It's a matriarchal religion, at least in the Haitian and Louisiana versions. I think it's also true in the, in the West African uh, Voodan.
3: Priestesses in voodoo are known as
1: mambos. Yeah. The mambos are
3: the hoongans.
1: Assuming that we don't have a magician here, okay, how could we bring good magic and use it against? If you make a little sachet of pig bristles
0: for a pig that was used in a Voodan ritual or voodoo ritual, and making it into a little bundle and wear it around your person or keep it on your person. That can actually protect you
1: from magic. So we're, we're talking about a, kind of an amulet here, right? Yeah, you're making an amulet. You know, like a boat bag or something like that.
0: Yeah. If you want to keep a, a hoodon or a voodoo witch out of your house or out of your room, you lay a broom across the threshold and they can't cross it. And because it's crossed the threshold, it's for the entire building. So wherever is considered the threshold of the building, you know, the main door, you lay a broom across and the broom the broom basically will stop them from entering.
1: Any other ideas of good magic that could be in the hands of a standard Bureau thirteen agent or somebody from Save or whatever that they could use as a bane against voodoo or against any other creatures affected by good magic? Take a picture of the of the person of the voodoo person the
0: the witch or who who do you want to protect against? Take a picture, print it out, put it into a frame, and then turn it upside down. They get a headache; they just kills them. They get a migraine from from heck at that point, and they can't do anything about it.
1: Does this work only against voodoo practitioners?
0: Yes, it's only good against practitioners, people who believe in the voodoo religion. So yeah, and it works against anyone who believes it. So you can use it against good people against and bad.
3: There's a lot of beliefs that. Just taking the picture of somebody, you're capturing their soul. So in a way, that could be, I would think, that might be you. You don't even need to turn the picture upside down. Just the fact that you have their soul, that would have power over them like a true name. Uh Aha, I have this piece of you. You can't mess with me. I would think just taking the picture in and of itself would be enough to have that type of power.
1: And if you were able to print it out and present it to them, you think it it could act as a word?
3: Like the true name, you have a piece of their soul, or at least their belief is that powerful that you have grasped their soul. Okay. Ooh. Yeah, they wouldn't be able to do anything because, you know, the power of magic, whatever it is, is through the force of your soul. Well, if you have their soul, you basically got them by, how can we say this, by the short and curlies.
1: So now we know why Polaroid is still around. They're being propped up by Bureau 13, so don't have this technology. Actually, I'm thinking that if you want to make it even more powerful, because you're, you're talking about
0: getting to their soul, you blend it in with the Carillion scan of the person, the
2: picture and the Carillion scan, showing their aura. Hmm, okay. You have the Karelian, um goggles, right, that you see them? You just take that goggle and put it on the front of the camera as the lens. You make a Karelian lens. So when you take a picture of them, you're, you're actually taking a picture of their soul.
0: You know, it's probably built into your, into your iPhone, to your, your smartphone you got from the Bureau, probably. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I would imagine that that stuff is already built in, that you, in the shade, you could just look and see the aura on everything anyways.
2: Wait, wait, wait. How awesome would this be? You have your phone, your, your, your phone with the Corellian detector built into it. They could take pictures, right? You know there's a Medusa around the corner. You lean around the corner with your hand, snap a picture of her. Now you've got a weapon. You've got a stoning weapon.
1: Well, no, actually, the image of a Medusa with the hair pointing forward and the tongue sticking out is considered to be a bane. Peter, in that case, set it for selfie mode.
0: So then you turn around there, it's in selfie mode, so it shows her face on it. So it's basically a
2: mirror. Yeah, pretty much. No. No. (laughs) (laughs) No. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Bruce. Bruce hold on, wait, wait. Bruce, we were saying it, it's a it's a it would be kind of a neat thing to wear. I probably you know, you're probably right. It probably wouldn't work. That's too easy. But in the history of the Medusa
1: itself specifically, he used a mirror shield so he could look at her reflection instead of her, and that was why he was able to fight her.
3: Oh, the agents, yes, the agent.
1: Oh, in that case, you use in selfie mode and walk behind. Oh, okay, I can see you. But you are bringing up an important thing, which is is that a lot of demons or supernatural creatures, there's a hierarchy. There's somebody bigger and badder than they are. And if you can present a picture that looks very much like them, like their their boss, or a, a more powerful being above them, it might be enough to ward them away. It might be able to scare them off.
3: I think that might go back to the whole soul thing. If you have a picture of, you know, a Tier 1 demon, and all of a sudden you got a picture of a Tier 2 demon, and you decide to show it, they may think, oh, God, they've got the soul of our commander, oh, my God, and run, you know? Yeah, I I can see the logic of that.
2: Intimidation is a form of bane. This isn't exactly magic. It's sort of the opposite of it. But I think uh, James Randi, an image of James Randi, would stop any supernatural creature in their their tracks.
1: (laughs) Prove yourself! (laughs) I'm using my power of disbelief on you! That's the second bane, is disbelief.
2: Right, you you whip out a picture of James Randi and the ghost just goes, Oh man, it dissipates. (laughs) The movie uh, Skeleton Key was all about this girl who became
1: a caretaker for uh, a man all surrounding was all this voodoo stuff mm-hmm. and being a modern woman she didn't believe in voodoo and, and as the movie goes on she keeps seeing more and more and more until finally at the end she's actually starts becoming afraid she starts putting down the salt and she finally runs into the two evil voodoo practitioners and she says you can't do anything to me because I don't believe. And they said, well, you didn't at first, but you sure do now, don't you? (laughs) A lot of religions and a lot of supernatural powers, if you don't believe that the power is going to work, especially things like sympathetic magic, it doesn't work. So disbelief is a powerful weapon against,
2: can give you an immunity. So Bruce, would you say it's pretty fair to like, if somebody was, like, a real hardcore skeptic, I mean, like, somebody, like, I don't know, maybe, like, me. Um, yeah. If somebody was trying to cast a voodoo spell on me that the that it may not work or it may even be exceptionally difficult, it's like, I don't understand, man. I stick the needle in the doll and nothing happens to him. Yeah. Is there, like, an aura? Do I get, like, a shell, like a protection shell? Because of, I
1: disbelieve. If the magic is sympathetic magic, where you're taking an item that's supposed to represent you and you do things to that thing and they're supposed to be connected to you, and you completely disbelieve the whole reality of the voodoo or whatever else like that, then that could essentially break that connection or at least degrade it to the point where it's nothing more than a mere nuisance to you. Sweet.
2: Bring it on, witch doctor.
1: Bring it on. You Scratch yourself. Ah. What's that? But now, as you become more familiar with it, and you see it affecting other people, that protection may degrade.
2: I'll just rationalize it. After the third demon, you start wondering, you know... John, I'll just rationalize it. I'll use the same tactics. That's called disassociation uh, (laughs)
1: syndrome. (laughs) I'll just use my cognitive dissonance and yeah. All I can say is you better have Spock around to do the Vulcan mind meld on you so the bullets go through. <laughs> <Right>. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Um, and then the last thing on here was ritual. Okay, and this is something that your average Bureau 13 guy, unless he actually does the research, isn't going to be able to apply because it's a very it's a p- specific thing that you would use to counter. You know, so if they're doing some kind of a death ritual, you do some kind of a counter-life ritual. So you'd kind of have to know their own religion and the aspects of that religion. So this would be where your knowledge arcana or your knowledge religion would kick in, in like D20. Oh, yeah. And possibly just a knowledge skill in Savage Worlds under religion would work, or arcana. Or even possibly if you had some of the powers, if you were a magic user yourself, you could make a role your arcana skill uh, in Savage Worlds.
3: Or still craft in D20, yes.
1: Or worst case scenario, you go find
0: a, a friendly Voodoo priest or priestess to help you out. And They
2: counter the ritual. Because isn't there supposed to be like, like uh, uh, white voodoo magic as well? It- oh, yes. In fact, the voodoo doll, it's a tool.
0: It can be used for good or bad. In Louisiana, they use it mostly for benedictions and blessings.
2: Okay. And don't they have those, those candles with the saints on them that they burn? Oh,
0: yeah. That's mostly a, uh, Louisiana. Okay. But yeah, but yeah, they use the candles. They
1: invoke Jehovah as much as they uh, invoke Ligba. Gotcha. Okay. The most common thing that anybody in any religion goes to, to a practitioner for is fertility. Mm-hmm. Making a woman capable of bearing a child safely to term is always considered white magic. It's part of every religion there is. Yep. Yep. Okay. Let's move on to leprechauns. Aye, leprechauns. Now, I was having a lot of trouble doing research on this because there's a couple of movies out there that I think they were messing stuff into the pot. (laughs) You think? I do have a a lot of stuff here. Of course, it says under the list, leprechauns variable. (laughs) I put after it, disbelief, true name, cold iron, silver, because it burns dark fairies, and leprechauns can be dark. Historically, they are a race of forest spirits. Mm -hmm. A lot of the leprechauns and gnomes from the story of Rumpelstiltskin, knowing his true name allowed the girl that he was marauding against to to save her unborn baby, to break the curse, or the, the deal that they had and send them away. Do you know any cases where disbelief has chased
2: away a leprechaun? I have to admit, I don't really know a whole lot about leprechauns.
1: Well, let me go and uh, just go over the various movies and such like that, that that talk about it. This is from various movies and other types of things. That, and some of them are actually more generalized to forest spirits as well. I think this is from the movie. Is stabbed by a cold iron and is unable to remove it, they will explode. Huh. That must be from the movie Leprechaun. I have a feeling it is.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Explode.
1: Yeah. Just, you just take him and stab him up against the wall where he can't pull it out. He's just, his little feet are running back and forth. And he just gets bigger and bigger and bigger like that one spirit in Big Trouble in Little China.
2: Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> one thing I did find out from my research, Leprechauns don't wear green.
2: They
3: wear red. Yeah, I'm here on the Wikipedia page and they're saying that, yeah. Yeah.
2: I think they're related to the Red Hats. Red cap. Red Caps, sorry, Red Caps. They're a family of
1: Irish Fae. Poor spirits, sure. Another entry here says that removal of gold will weaken him. So stealing his gold could make the leprechaun weak. It will enrage him also, but it could weaken him.
3: What do we say about Banes? That you do things to them, things that would hurt them that wouldn't normally hurt other people. You take my money, I would not be happy either. So I don't, I, I don't know. Yeah, but I don't think it would weaken you. I
1: think you'd be coming at me with your full vigor. Oh yeah, yeah. You, you. Uh, that we agree.
2: Yeah. Well, I will tell you this: the creature that is known as Donald Trump. I think if he took his money, that would definitely be a bane.
3: Well, no, he'd fire you. Yeah, <laughs>
2: I... <laughs> he'd hit you with his
0: toupee. Now, also part of the legends is you capture a leprechaun, he'll grant you three wishes. But as we said back in our wish in our wish episode. You got to be very careful of those three wishes you're going to ask, ask a leprechaun because they also love practical
1: jokes. Uh, that relates right back to the red cap. Yeah. <laughs> mischievous little buggers. Well, I don't think he's so much mischievous as I think he really resents you forcing him to do something for him. <laughs> yeah.
3: Well, the genies, genies in Arabian myth are the same way. You get the wishes. They're going to go by the letter of the law, and it's the whole thing. I want a million dollars, or they're going to steal it from everybody around them.
1: Leprechauns are going to be the same way. They're going to steal them from the pockets of orphans and people who need money for cancer treatments. I mean, these guys, they consider themselves to be superior to human beings in every way. And so when you force them to do something, they resent it. But I'll tell you what, they make delicious cereal. The
0: legend says that the, their initial pot of gold came from War Dead. They basically would go the, travel the, the battlefields and pick the pockets and make their initial stash.
1: Oh, so they're like a D&D character. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, certainly there's been enough wars
2: throughout history that they would have plenty of opportunity. But to think they'll find their pot of gold depends on finding the right rainbow. Is rain- Wait, a minute, is that rainbow thing real? Is that or is that is that made up? I mean, is that part of like actual legend? Yes, it is. But its usage is, is different.
1: In some cases, it's used as a means of finding the gold. In some cases it's actually a misdirection because every time you try to reach the rainbow, of course it moves away.
2: Ah I see. Because okay. it's an optical illusion. See, now that makes sense.
1: Unless of
0: course it's it's at the base of the of the rainbow bridge of the, the Asgard.
2: Then you got other problems to worry about
0: there or there, yeah. Wait a
2: minute, John. Are you putting Star Trek in my Star Wars?
0: (laughs) (laughs) No, but I think if you're if you're chasing after rainbows and you and you get a rainbow that doesn't move,
1: I think you thought you're gonna find a pot of gold. Well, I actually have a rainbow story that's that's very much like that. I was down in Pensacola, Florida, and the way it's set up is there's a big hill and it leads down to the downtown area. And it just started pouring down so bad And I was standing out I was out working I was going door to door as a salesman And I was just standing there drenched And then it stopped And the sun came out And there was this gorgeous rainbow That just stretched across From over on the bay to the right All the way across the sky And came right down Right on the very top Of the first bank of Pensacola (laughs) Oh, God. I kid you not. I was like, well, there you go. That's where the gold is. It makes perfect sense. It's run by leprechauns. Eh? I could believe it. I could tell you that I have seen where the pot of gold is. I could even give you the address. <laughs> <laughs> tell them I sent uh, you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but- of course, getting that leprechaun to give you that is very, very hard. But there is one... And only one way of really getting the leprechaun to look at him with an unmoving stare. You cannot look away from that leprechaun for an instant, or he disappears. So if you can hold on, if you can look at him, he'll just stay still if you look at him. And you can walk up to him. Of course, he's going to try to, to distract you. He's going to you know, say, hey, look behind you, and all kinds of things like that. Or what was that over there? And he'll try moving around. But you look at him, he won't be able to get away, and you can close him on him, and then you can grab him. Once you're actually holding him physically, her, her, because there are female leprechauns, hold them physically, then they, they can't get away, and they will grant you however many wishes your mythology allows.
0: That's something like the job for your uh, cat person on your team, the, you know, the actual real cat person. You know, because <laughs> you know, cats can stare. Oh. Is that what you were
1: talking about? Okay. Yeah.
2: <laughs> is that a, is that a doctor? Is it like a Doctor Who type of thing? Don't look away. Oh, oh, for boy yeah.
1: yeah. You can't
3: look. You have to look at them. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah. Reading up in the description in, in Wikipedia, the font of all knowledge, uh, it lists the act like to repair and make shoes. I'm wondering if you put a pair of uh, high tops that look really ratty and then throw them in front of them. Would that also keep him from moving?
2: Oh my god, must repair shoes.
1: Yeah. <laughs> well, especially if you put the tools out there, you know, get guys started a little bit. Maybe you know.
2: God, I can see it now. I'd be like the bane of a leprechaun because the way I wear my shoes forever and they're all beat up. I can see the leprechaun like, oh my god, look at your shoes. What's wrong <laughs> with you, man? <laughs> <laughs>
1: All those OCD type things also seem to work on leprechauns too. If you pour salt or sugar in front of a leprechaun, they have to stop and count it. <laughs> it's the same for vampires and a lot of other things in 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 many different and uh, uh, in, in evil spirits in, in many different uh, cultures.
3: there was a story about creatures making the shoemaker and the elves that's the one i'm thinking yes that's That's the
1: classic one
3: yeah yes okay all connected now all right
2: no wait 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 i just had this visual (laughs) leprechauns coming at you like throw down a packet of salt yeah yeah 535 grains five (laughs) rain man (laughs)
1: leprechaun. You got the Rayman leprechaun. He just blinks and keeps on coming. Letty,
2: that's
0: that's mean if you do that in front of me. Oh, that's one grain of salt. Two grains of salt.
3: Three grains of salt. <laughs> then they're going, oh, great. I get the
1: one autistic leprechaun. Right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, the idiot savage leprechaun. Hey hey, 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 This is why they keep Dopey around.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh,
2: <Uh-oh>. Oh. <laughs>
1: An autistic Uh.
3: war. Wow, that's not a (laughs) good one.
2: Wow, we're not offending anyone with this one.
1: (laughs) I'm an Aspie. I can get away with saying it. We're talking
2: mythology here. We're not talking about people
1: with developmental disorders. Right. right. (laughs) It's like me making Pollock jokes. I can make those, too. Yeah. (laughs) And the final thing I have here, and I'm pretty sure this came from Darby and the little people. Cream makes them drunk. What? Not a good whiskey? No. No, apparently cream makes them drunk. Oh.
3: Darby and the Little People. Wow, Mr. Peabody dialing the Wayback Machine on that one. Wow.
1: Yeah, an early film for a certain Sean Connery. Oh, God, yeah, that's right.
2: <laughs> He's like, excuse me, sir, is that half and half you got there? <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to cut down. I could use a taste.
0: (laughs) (laughs) to (laughs) O-E. O-E-D-A-M. And we do apologize to all our Irish listeners out there. Hey, wait a minute.
2: That's where I get to chime in. I'm half Irish.
1: Get away with it. Well, that's all I got on leprechauns. Thank goodness. (laughs) OCD kind of stuff might work. If I was up against a supernatural creature, I'd have a bag full of All kinds of stuff. And just throw it out there and see what happens. If they stop, you're like, oh, we got something in there that works. Okay. It would be a quick barrier. It might give you a chance to back up. And there's a lot of things. I mean, you can have powdered metals. You can have powdered herbs. You can have salt, sugar. Now, of course, you see them stop, bend down, and start picking up, you know, counting sunflower seeds or millet or grains of salt or grains of sugar. Okay, that's where your powers of observation come in. You're like, not everything is affecting this guy, but that is, so it's the OCD thing. Maybe grain, so if you have a bag of flaxseed, throw
0: that out, or or rice. Who has a bag of flaxseed, John? I do.
3: (laughs) (laughs) I'm just getting to see here that you're not going to have a bane kit of multiple creatures. After a while, and especially as teams get more and more into their job, like Team Fremont for John and Team Candlestick for me, you're going to have Bane kits specifically for creatures. Okay, we have leprechauns. Get out this kit. Open the briefcase. 20 or 30 different things. Oh, we have vampires. Get out the foot locker.
2: We have pixies. Yeah. What if you have a guy on your team who's like a Bane specialist and everybody refers to him as the cook because he pulls out his bag of ingredients. He's like, well, if I mix a little of this and a little of that... That works fine. Your idea of travel works great if you if you
1: have, like, a regional team that has a, a place that they can put all those different things in because there's thousands.
3: That's why I brought up my team of Team Candlestick and John's team of Team Fremont. If you're just a beginning team or you
1: don't have a lot of resources... You're a roving team, yeah. Right. So, But that's why they have Bane kits that you can have in the RV. You can have, as Peter was talking about, enough stuff to cook. Well, then doesn't
3: that bring up again, I think, Bruce, you mentioned this, that mixing the Banes together, we've talked about Banes before. We've already done a Bane episode, I think second season, yeah. Yeah. That you can't mix the Banes, and we, you and I came up specifically talking about the bullets in Hellboy's gun, how it had like four or five Banes together, and you were just like, um, no, because the purity, because you're mixing them together, the purity is lost.
1: Right. I mean, that whole sanctification for use... Is a, is a powerful part of it. you know. But there's exceptions. The Creature of the Night special rounds where they're wood that are coated with silver and packed in holy water. So they're blessed. So you got a blessed wooden silver round. So that pretty much handles the vampires, handles the werewolves, and uh, handles the demons. It probably wouldn't hurt to carve a little cross in, in each one also. You know, it, it, whatever you want to do. As far as I know, the whole thing with the OCD stuff, it's not really one of those things that's sanctified, so therefore you could put millet seed and rice, and because you know rice is going to be the primary thing that they have against the demons out in Asia, because I've read stories where they did that, it had rice. Okay, so rice, millet seed, salt, sugar, you could have a mix of that, I think, and it would work pretty well as, as a means of stopping the creature while they did that. Because it's not really causing them harm, but it's just triggering a psychological effect in them where they have to do certain things. So I think that would be exempted from that problem about being sanctified material. But if it's something that actually the very touch of it causes damage, then I think that would have to be something that was kept as pure as possible to be the most effective. I've seen that in a couple
0: of Japanese movies where they use rice, but it's usually against things that they couldn't hurt. It's mostly to, to slow them down and so they can get away. That's good, too.
1: Yeah, that's true. Yeah, it's good, too. Yeah. If they're susceptible to high explosives, I'd like to be able to throw that down and back myself up about 100 feet while it's counting and then hit it with the missiles. Yeah. You know, I, I don't want people using high explosives right next to me. I'm special that way.
3: Hmm. <laughs> a crowd of one on that one, Bruce.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Or you have a modified Metal Storm that fires stakes. Uh, And for those who are not familiar, Metal Storm is a system that has like 100 barrels, each one preloaded with a bullet. Just imagine replacing
2: all those bullets with wooden stakes, and you're going against a bunch of vampires. Well, hold hold on, John. I think the the Metal Storm actually is an electromagnetic gun. No, no, Uh, No, no. Metal Storm is the bullet ones. It's sure? That's, okay. Yes, it is. Even if it wasn't, even if it was electromagnetic, you could put a metal ring around it and it would launch this thing anyway.
0: Yeah. <laughs> wait a, minute, a metal storm is like a rail gun? No, no, it's, it's basically a good old-fashioned bullet, but the bullets can be, basically the barrels stack a detonator for each bullet individually,
1: so you can fire them off in waves. You know how they used to have a, a thing where they would put all these arrows in tubes, and they had this big... Plank that they pull back and snap it forward to hit them, and it was shooting this hail of arrows out. Okay, yeah. Basically, it's it's use, using the same idea, except they're they're explosive, and you know they're in barrels and they fire stuff. Okay, yeah. I mean, it's certainly going to fill the area full of lead or steel or whatever else that you're using there. Uh, I imagine it's probably a pretty big item. You probably have to trailer it.
0: Yeah, or doubles as your air conditioner. One or the other, on the RV. Okay. <laughs> you replace the missile pod with, with with a metal storm. Oh,
1: okay, okay, I got you down. All right. So, uh, anything more for leprechauns? Uh,
0: I don't think so. All I
1: right. Think we- well, again, disbelief. I don't. Um, I don't know any stories with disbelieving the leprechauns. But I guess if you don't believe in leprechauns, you might never see one. Hopefully. Uh, The cold iron is pretty classic because of the fairies. And the silver, I was very confused about that because it's the cold iron works, but the silver works, aren't they kind of like not the same with each other? But that's when I found out that if you're a dark fairy, silver because of its purity, that's why it affects it. And also because, as you were talking about, Peter, silver, you know, reflects the sun. It's the antithesis of dark, the dark fairies.
2: Yeah, and it was something uh, that's a, and I think, The dark fairies, I I think that's a Norse thing, isn't it? I don't know. I just know that it was listed
1: under Leprechaun. There's dark fae all over the place.
3: Well, Celtic religion is sort of spread all over Europe, and Germanic is sort of woven into that. And they all sort of had their own different stories, but they did have common threads all through
0: Europe. In Asia, there are creatures that you could call fae. They're not necessarily European fae, but there are creatures that fill the same niche. In Asia.
3: Spirits like the Hengu Yokai and the Koro Yeah.
1: This is Bruce Sheffer saying, there are a million, million worlds out there, so go explore them. This is John Ryer saying, keep your powder dry and keep those
2: cards and letters coming in. This is Blix. Don't hate the game, hate the players.
3: And this is Trav. There's a reason why it's called gaming. It's for having fun.
0: Yo, brothers, this was the tri tech Games Podcast. You know the drill. It's protected under the Creative Commons License 3.0. No commercial reproduction, no derivatives, and, sucker, you best attribute this to the folks at tri tech Games. And if you don't, we'll be after your sorry butts, because we're some bad mothers.